Now today, what we're talking about is Antioch, Barnabas, and the Holy Spirit. Antioch, Barnabas, and the Spirit. That's our focus today from Acts chapter 11, what happened at Antioch that I think. I think that what happened at Antioch all those 2,000 years ago has some very relevant principles for us today, considering what we're going through, our development as a congregation in Thames Valley, our development as people, and our response to the circumstances we find ourselves in with COVID-19 and perhaps other things as well. I think there are many lessons from what we see about Antioch and Barnabas and especially the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to be doing, looking at today. Now, not much you, but over the last few weeks, I've, um, I've had two things on my mind. Firstly, how do I get through this in one piece? How do I get through this sort of still in, uh, intact in some way or other? We've had many challenges. Uh, for some of us, significant financial challenges, furlough, working, laid off. Uh, we've had the challenge of homeschooling. Uh, we've had perhaps our own health challenges or the health challenges of people around us that we care about. We've had the challenge of isolation on, to some degree or other, depending on your circumstances. Uh, this evening, I'm going to visit my parents for the first time, as I now am allowed by the regulations to go and make that my second household and stay overnight tonight with my mother and father, who I've not seen since since March, and I'm very much looking forward to that. So there are lots of different things that we might feel challenged by over the last few weeks, and how do we cope? And a lot of our lessons, I think, uh, in Thames Valley and perhaps locally where you are, have been about how to approach it spiritually, how to keep a connection with God, how to view what's happening as a way to help us grow spiritually and become more Christ-like. And indeed, CJ's sermon from last month was very much focused on that idea. And I think that's very helpful and very appropriate. But I think also, we need to think a bit about where are we going? Because that's the second thing is, where are we going? What might be coming down the pipe for you and I and our church communities that we're part of? And how do we get ready for that? Even if we don't know exactly what's coming, how do we get ready for that? And so I'd like us to take some lessons from Barnabas, Antioch, and the Holy Spirit today that might help us to be prepared for and begin even to move forward in some way or other with what's going on. Now, I think a lot of people, I speak to people, a lot of people seem to think that we need to wait for some wise person to turn up and tell us what to do post-COVID. Like someone will give us the formula for after COVID, church will be like this. After COVID, the Christian life will be more like this than like this. We're waiting for some kind of spiritual Gandalf to turn up with his staff and touch us on our forehead or something and give us some kind of weird wisdom. If, if that was going to be anybody on this call today, it would be Ian Stockdale, if you've seen the beard. It's definitely, there's, I can see the screen there. Okay, that's definitely the Gandalf type beard or something. So much as we appreciate Ian and his beard, I, I don't think that's how God works. He's not going to just suddenly turn up and say, bam, and or flick a switch. The thing is, although a lot of us might feel like that, we've got to bear in mind, you and I are all spirit-filled people. Nobody is more spirit-filled than anybody else if you have the spirit of Christ. We've all got the spirit, and we can all make faithful decisions about how to live in whatever is coming down the line. It's about acting in faith, in the power of, and in conjunction with, and in cooperation with the Spirit, not waiting for something to happen. So with that in mind, let's think about the way that the Spirit worked in the book of Acts and see what parallels or help we can find from looking at that. 
So before we get to Acts 11, let's review Acts 2 to Acts 11 briefly. So what happens in the book of Acts with the Holy Spirit? And most of us will be, I think, reasonably familiar with this. And as we begin in the book of Acts, we begin, you could say, in Acts 2. The apostles are told to wait for the Spirit, and the Spirit comes, doesn't he? And the Spirit comes down, and like a violent wind, and the tongues of fire on the heads of the apostles, and they start speaking in all these languages, and people say they're drunk. It's like everybody who went to the pubs yesterday, maybe, and overdid it when they started going back to the pubs. And, and, but they're saying it's like that. It's like they've been released from lockdown. They've all gone and got drunk. And, and uh, they say, no, 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 though we're speaking in all these languages so that you can understand about the Messiah, about what Jesus is all about. And then 3,000 are baptized that day, maybe many more. And that new community is established. That astonishing new community in, in Acts 2, where they're all together, they're breaking bread, they're, 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 they've got glad and sincere hearts, and they've established an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. That, that desire, that, that dream of God, that what's done in heaven will, will happen here on earth. And that, that outpost is established. And then Acts chapter 3, the power of the Spirit works through Peter to heal the beggar, which gives an opportunity to preach the gospel. And Acts chapter 4, as they're continuing to do this, it comes to the attention of the authorities who don't like it. And they have uh, the Sadducees come and try to stop Peter and John speaking. And they say, well, we can't do that. And then the believers get together in Acts chapter 4 and they have that amazing prayer time where they're praying for, for, for courage and boldness. And it says the building where they were meeting was shaking, shaken. And what did the shaking? It was the Holy Spirit that did the shaking, right? At the end of that prayer, it says they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I don't know if your building will be shaken today or if this Zoom call will be shaken. I don't know. But... But the Holy Spirit shakes things up and gives courage, and they carry on uh, living this new life. In Acts chapter 5, <clears throat> I think we can safely say it's the Spirit that refines the church by when Ananias and Sapphira are killed, um, which is pretty serious. And then the apostles carry on healing people by the power of the Spirit. They're persecuted again. This time, they're flogged in Acts chapter 5. But they say, no, we have to carry on. They carry on preaching and teaching house to house. And they go on proclaiming the good news. And then chapter seven, or chapter six, we had the first internal challenge in the church where the uh, Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews are not being treated equally. There's a dispute about that. But what do the apostles do? Who do they look for? They look for people who are full of the, well, you know, spirit. They look for people full of the spirit. They find them. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and a number of others. They turn it over to them. All is good, except that then Stephen is arrested, and then he gives his amazing speech in Acts chapter 7. And at the end of chapter 7, he is stoned to death. The Spirit allows this for whatever reason, and he is stoned to death, the first Christian martyr, you could say. And his attitude is a Spirit-inspired attitude in that, because there's nothing human about this in that he then asks God not to hold this against them, imitating the heart of Jesus on the cross. And after that, in Acts chapter 8, very significant is that the Spirit allows this, that a great persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles are scattered. Saul begins to destroy the church. And it says in verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So we can say that the Spirit allowed the spreading 
And what did people do when they were spread? They carried on preaching the word. They go to Samaria, even Samaria, that heretical place that, that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. But the gospel finds root there. Many people are baptized and the work goes on. And, in, in, and, and the spirit directs Philip to go to the Ethiopian in the later on part in book of Acts. And, and even the Ethiopian becomes a, a follower of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 9, the arch enemy of the church, the, the Saul, encounters the spirit of the living Christ on the road to Damascus, and he himself, blinded by the light, but then re revealed what this means by Ananias, is baptized into Christ and starts to be a Christ follower. All of that by the power of the spirit again. And then we come to Acts chapter 10, and then this kind of almost funny incident where... <clears throat> Uh, Peter and God have an argument and God says you need to go and talk to this Gentile and, you, and, and, God, and Peter's like you, you must be kidding God what what's going on and, and luckily Peter realizes it's probably not a good idea to argue with God so he goes with Cornelius's uh, servants and into the house of Cornelius and he starts to talk about the gospel and then you know what happens right he starts he hasn't even finished his sermon and the spirit comes powerfully on Cornelius and all of his household and he speak in these other languages and then Peter Peter has this epiphany moment oh so the gospel is even for the Gentiles which sounds very condescending but we've got to understand where Peter was coming from but oh it's for the Gentiles as well and so he baptizes that household and of course he has to defend that in Acts chapter 11 to the other believers who weren't there but okay oh all right the Gentiles get it as well excellent and then we get to Antioch. Right. Now we're at Antioch. Now, before we look at the details of Antioch, what I want us to see from all this, apart from the fact that the Spirit is active and powerful, what I also want us to see is what does this do to the church? What was the experience of your average Christian, your average Christ follower? What was your experience of your average church member in Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and now in 11? The average experience was one where the spirit moved and what the spirit did made it uncomfortable for people who follow Jesus. The spirit made it uncomfortable. The spirit did the unexpected and the spirit gave them unprecedented experiences. Most of them, not anything like the sort of things Jesus could have prepared them for in detail. He prepared them for what they, with what they needed. But the, the detail was not what they were expecting. They weren't expecting that this violent wind and the, and the tongues of fire and the speaking in other languages. They weren't expecting the Samaritans. They weren't expecting the floggings. They weren't expecting Ethiopian eunuchs. They weren't expecting um, Saul to become a Christian. They weren't expecting Cornelius and Gentiles to, 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 and, and have visions from God. They weren't expecting any of these things. This was disturbing. It was uncomfortable. It was unprecedented. It was unexpected. And I think we as followers of Jesus today maybe need to recapture a willingness to be made uncomfortable, to expect the unexpected, to be willing for that, to, to understand that we're being taken into unprecedented territory via things like COVID-19. And this isn't a bad thing. I mean, COVID-19 is a bad thing in terms of people dying and being sick for sure. But in terms of disturbing us, preparing us for something new, something better, something through which the spirit can move to his glory, this should be normal. And I say this because, <laughs> I'm speaking for myself here, I like things to be predictable. You know, when you turn on the tap, you like it when the clean water comes out. I mean, I like, I like predictability on some level. And that's not wrong on some levels. But I wonder whether, 
as people of faith, of Christian faith, whether we're too in love with things being neat and tidy and predictable in our Christian life and the way that we do church. And I just wonder whether COVID-19 is one of the ways that God says, actually, it's better when it's messier. If your goal is, is for it to be neat and tidy, then I don't think we're going to get the job done. The Spirit moves the church, always has and always will, if we allow him to move us. Here's a thought for us. I've been thinking about this recently. Messiness, not neatness, might be more evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives and in our church communities. Messiness, not neatness. Now, this is no excuse for teenagers not to clean up their rooms. I'm not talking about that. But messiness in the way that church operates, messiness in the way that we reach out to people and interact with the people around us in this world, the people who are needy and poor and sick and, and need, need, need help and, 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 and justice, that these things would make us uncomfortable, but it might be exactly the right thing. When our Christian life is too comfortable, when my Christian life is too comfortable, when our church services and events and, and life is too comfortable, there's probably something, something not quite right, at least if that comfortability lasts too long. See, Antioch, what happens here in Antioch is a result of the bad news of Acts 8, when Stephen is martyred. How could the Christian church possibly see the martyrdom of Stephen as a positive thing? Well, I don't think they, I'm sure they mourned him, but yet God did something positive through something that was, messy isn't the right word, is it? That's inadequate. Something that was tragic. COVID-19 is tragic. But is it at least part of the way that God is shaking us up to make us think differently about the way that we lead our Christian life, to make us more what we can be for God, for him? We've been through a lot as a church, right? Whether you're in Thames Valley or someone else here, somewhere else here today, but let's think about the last 20 years or so. I don't know about you if you've been around that long, but over the last 15 to 20 years, we've been through times of upheaval. We've been through times of recovery, of, of restabilizing at times. We've been at, at times in a sort of a new normal. We've had periods when there's been some growth and that continues and that's to God's glory. Uh, we've been through periods where we had more of a focus on the next generation, which I believe we do now. And I've got some more to say about that in a minute. And it's great to see the teen, teenagers coming through and the younger younger professional types. I don't know quite what you call yourselves, you younger people, but younger than me, um, coming through and, and getting involved. And that's all good. That's all excellent. But I wonder, I wonder whether there's all of what's happening is asking us the question, getting us to ask the question, is it time for a vision shift? Maybe not a revolution, I don't know, but at least a shift in vision, a development to go forward in the power of the Spirit into a messier future, but a future that would allow God's Spirit to move more freely and powerfully among us and through us to this world. So with that in mind, Let's take a couple of lessons from Antioch and from Barnabas. Let's go to our passage here in Acts 11, verse 19. Acts 11, 19. <clears throat> now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them 
the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. What do we see? Perhaps my main point today. My main point that I think I see here is that the Spirit inspires initiative. These men, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, speak to Greeks in Antioch. They speak to Greeks. There's a couple of Gentiles who have been converted, like Cornelius, maybe you could say, certainly. Uh, but individuals. Now we've got groups of Gentiles being converted, of all things. And these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they're Christians, they go off to Antioch, and they start speaking to these, these uh, Gentiles. It's certainly a shock, otherwise they wouldn't have sent Barnabas all the way from Jerusalem. It's not something they were expecting. And here's the thing about the men from Cyprus and Cyrene. I, I wish we knew their names. I don't know why they're anonymous. I've been, I guess in the next life we'll, we'll get to meet them and talk to them about who they were and why they did what they did. But the thing I see about them is they didn't need permission. They didn't need someone to tell them what to do. They didn't need someone to allow them to do it, to give them permission to do it, to give them authority to do it. They just got on with it. No one had done this before. No one had gone to a place like Antioch before and started speaking to Greeks, plural, and baptizing a, 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 a numbers of them. This was a fresh, a new thing that no one had ever done. And it's not like they're famous people. I, part of the reason their names are not in here because they're not Stephen, they're not Philip, they're not Peter, they're not James, they're not even Barnabas. They're just people. In other words, people like you and me, ordinary people, just followers of Jesus. And they go to Antioch, they find some Greeks, and they think, you know what, no one's really talking to the Greeks about the gospel. Should we do it? Let's do it. And they go and speak to the Greeks, and then a whole new chapter begins for the church and the spread of the gospel. They didn't ask for permission. Now, they weren't maverick like just independent people, because it says that they were men, plural, and they were presumably traveling with their families, and so men and women, one would imagine. But they, they get on with it. They take initiative. The spirit is entrepreneurial, and thus so are followers of Jesus. We are all entrepreneurial by in one way or another. And you may say, well, I, I'm not entrepreneurial, I'm not extrovert. Ext, extroversion and entrepreneurialism, if that's a word, aren't the same thing. You don't need to be have one to be the other. You just need to be somebody who's willing to take initiative in the power of the Spirit, not your power. It's not about your personality, it's not about your character, it's not about your gift, it's about the power of the Spirit. This is what gets us going. This is what helps us to make decisions and take a few risks and step out of the boat onto the water as we sang about earlier and read about earlier in Matthew as Peter did. 
There are lots of ways to step out in faith. Now, in this context, it's very much about sharing the gospel. But I would say this applies to anything we can do to help bring the kingdom about here on this earth. One of the prayers we're uh, encouraged to pray by Jesus in what's called the Lord's Prayer is about praying and asking God, may your kingdom come. And what does that mean for the kingdom to come? The next line, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're asking God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. In other words, may I be part of bringing the kingdom and helping your will to be done here. And that is about sharing our faith in terms of helping people know about Jesus. But it's also about helping to bring about justice, helping to bring about healing. It's about people being people of compassion with those who are mourning and hurting. It's about being a good neighbor to a friend. It's about thinking about the damage that has been done in this world because of what happened in Eden. In other words, it's really about uh, uh, repairing what was broken, about uh, healing what has been damaged, about uh, bringing what was corrupted to back towards what it was meant to be. It's about helping marriages. It's about helping parents. It's about helping all kinds of relationships. It's about helping our planet, our atmosphere, the, the world around us, the ecology that we share that's being destroyed. It's about anything that would bring beauty, the God's beauty more to its fullness in this world. One of the reasons I love, I have many reasons I love my wife. One of the reasons I love her is because she loves some things that God loves and she loves them more than I do. Now, I like the environment and I like the countryside and I like clean air, but my love, my wife loves it which is why we dug a pond last year, a wildlife pond. And this elbow, I dug it in September, it still hurts. This elbow here, it's better, but it's, it still hurts. I think this hurting elbow was worth it to build the wildlife, dig the wildlife pond that now has frogs on, in it and, and all kinds of other creepy crawlies. And, and it's beautiful and people remark on it and our neighbors know it, we're doing it because we like wildlife and we think it's a beautiful thing and then we can talk about that with people we're trying to bring the beauty of god's beauty into our world and to our lives in the world like the world of people around us and anything we can do anything we can do to bring god's beauty and perfection into reality here is a worthy endeavor there is something that I can take initiative on in this area. There's something that you can take initiative on in the power of the Spirit. These people did not wait for permission. They just got on with it because they had the power of the Spirit with them. And I wonder whether this COVID period is about giving us a moment to pause and think about uh, what what is it that I have a passion about uh, something about God and, and the way he's made on and the perfection he hopes for the world to enjoy that I can make a difference in where is it is it in the field of justice is it in the field of ecology is it in the field of sharing the gospel is it in the field of well I don't know but what gets your spiritual blood pumping what gets you excited about your mission the mission has so many different facets we all are on a mission. It's all connected. Do you have a vision of what God could do through you? By the power of the Spirit. What if Gandhi had waited for permission? What if 
Martin Luther King had waited for permission? What if these men had waited for permission? They knew it was right. They got on with it. And as a result, I mean, Antioch's amazing. I think Antioch is probably the geographical hinge of Christianity historically. A lot happened in Jerusalem, but in terms of the spread of the gospel, the spread of Christianity, to me, it's sort of Antioch is the geographical hinge because this is the place where Gentiles were first spoken to. And it's here that Barnabas and Paul come together. And it's from here in Acts 13 that they are sent out to uh, Asia Minor and then to Europe and ultimately, effectively, the world. You and I are inheritors of these brave, entrepreneurial, spiritually entrepreneurial men from Cyprus and Cyrene who spoke to those Greeks. We benefit from their initiative, their spirit. What about us? So if I can leave us, I've got another point here, but I, if there's one thing I would like to leave us with today, it's that we all have a part to play. We've all got something valuable to do. You have specific gifts, talents, experiences that can be useful to the kingdom if we just step out on faith and don't wait for somebody to tell us what to do. It's not gonna, we're not going to get the job done waiting for people to tell us what to do. Now, we do need one another, though. We do need one another. And that's why I think you see Barnabas coming into the picture here. So the church in Jerusalem hear what's going on. And what do they do? They send Barnabas. Barney's on the way. And what do we know about Barnabas? He was nicknamed the son of encouragement. What a good person to have turn up at your church service when he didn't know he was coming. Because in those days, they wouldn't text ahead, right? And say, you know, Barnabas is coming. Get, get ready. He, I guess he just turned up. And he turns up and he comes with an amazing spirit. I love this about Barnabas. And I share about Barnabas here because I think all of us on this call, pretty much all of us, either need to be a Barnabas or find a Barnabas. So this is my point I want, you, want us to think about being a Barnabas or finding a Barnabas. And let me tell you why I think this is significant. So what's the attitude of the Jerusalem church to the initiative that's taken in Antioch? They want to know what's going on, but they are curious, not controlling. The Jerusalem church clearly do not send Barnabas with the attitude of Barney. We don't know what they're doing up there. How dare they speak to those Greeks that no one asked us. They didn't send us the scroll and ask for the seal of stamp of permission and we didn't send it to them and so I don't know what they're up to they need to be corrected they need to be stopped you need to sort it all out Barnabas go there and stop it they that's not the attitude they had they were curious and we know they were curious because it's Barnabas they sent because Barnabas was a listener Gar, Barnabas was a bridge builder Barnabas was someone who brought people together like Saul John Mark and others he was that kind of guy they wanted something to, to, to flourish that's why they sent Barnabas who of course himself was a Cypriot and so would have connected with some of these men that were from Cyprus he sees the good he sees God's hand at work he gives them verbal encouragement to carry on with the good work with all of their heart he pours petrol on the fire of their zeal and doesn't bring the wet blanket of suspicion listen I've done this myself, all right? I, I confess. I've had people in the past come up to me with a great idea. I've got this great idea. It's exciting to me. It's part of my faith. I, I think it's part of the mission God has given me. And, and shame, shamefully, but often in the past, my attitude has been, I, usually with the person, I'll be like, oh, that sounds like a really interesting idea. But in my heart, what I'm thinking is, that's not going to work. Uh, you're not ready for this. 
um, it doesn't really fit with where we're going for church and our programs and not sure how that's going to work and at best I'm, I'd be passive about that sometimes I've actually said to people no I'm sorry that's not going to work I now, look sometimes things don't work and we do need to get advice and all that kind of thing I think that's right but in the end if someone's excited about something who am I to to bring out the wet blanket and lay it over them and say, no, let me put the fire out. If you're waiting for someone to tell you, go on, go and do it, we're, we're going to be waiting forever. We, we need people like Barnabas who say, I, I love what you're doing. I, I want to encourage you to do it with all your heart. What can I do to help? I'm speaking to myself here as one who might be viewed as a leader of some kind. And some of us here, you have some leadership responsibilities. We need to be the kind of people that get the fan out and fan into flame um, people's ideas and not, not controlling them or not even giving the impression of that or not being afraid of new ideas. And let's talk about it in community. Let's not be foolish and impetuous. But on the other hand, I think my attitude needs to be, what can I do to help? And all of us need to be that with and for each other. So Barnabas does this. He builds on the positive. He recruits Paul to help. That's something he does. He invests time and energy to go and get Paul and Barnabas to make it even better in uh, Antioch there. Uh, he brings an odd person into the picture because Paul was pretty odd. And sometimes we need the odd people. By odd, I don't necessarily mean they have to look odd, but more that they think differently to the rest. You know, we need the people in our congregations and in our lives who think differently to the rest of us. Doesn't mean they're right, but at least they stimulate something fresh and new. We need people like that. And I'm going to conclude by asking us to think about this. For the older generation here, like me, can I ask you, could you be a Barnabas to somebody? Seems to me it's a, Barnabas is kind of the senior person in this situation. Could you be a Barnabas to somebody? And if you're younger, could you find a Barnabas? Don't depend on the Barnabas. Take initiative. But could you find one to give you that encouragement to be a mentor, really? I think Barnabas operates here kind of like a mentor. I think the younger generation, what do you need more than anything else? I hope you younger generation don't feel like we need permission. I hope you don't feel like we need the older people to tell us what to do or what's right or what's not. I think you've got to get on with it. I hope you don't feel that. I hope you have a vision. I think the younger generation need a real exciting vision. Me and my generation, we need, we need a nap. Um, I'm just getting older. I, I'm 60 next year and, and I, I'll need a nap this afternoon, I think. And I, I, not to say I haven't got anything left to give and all of us don't, but it's, I, I, my my most most energetic days were in the 80s and 90s, I suppose, and I've still got something to give, but 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 it's a different time for me. I think, yeah, okay, let me be a Barnabas, the best I can, and, and live the fullness of how I can. But the younger generation, you guys in your teens and your 20s and perhaps 30s, and I don't know if I can stretch it to 40s or not. Is that still considered young? You, you have to decide that for yourself. But, 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 but I, you don't need a nap. You don't need a nap, uh, unless you're a nursing mother, maybe, or something. I don't know. But you don't really need a nap as normal part of your life. You need a vision. You need a vision. And you need a vision that's yours. It's not mine. It's not Tim's. It's not somebody else's or Chevy's. It's your vision. I'm not, I'm not going on about this because I don't think any of us have any vision. It's more, I think it's in time to fan that into flame. 
and say, come on, and what can I do to help? And what can we all do to help each other? Now to wrap up, what do we see at the end of all this? We see great numbers of people brought to the Lord. We see a church prepared to develop a wonderful team, Acts 13, of teachers and prophets and others. We see a church ready to send out mission teams elsewhere. Thames Valley has been an amazing place for the last 20-odd years. And we have seen God move and create new locations and family groups all over the place. But there's still tons to do, isn't there? There's tons to do with where I am in Watford. There's tons to, tons to do in Thames Valley. There are tons of towns and villages we, we've just got to get to somehow. And that's going to be through young people having the energy and their own conviction and the older people saying, go for it. Let me fan your faith into flame. Let me be a Barnabas. I'm here for you. I will do whatever you need and, and, that I can give you to help you. So, the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Antioch. We are people of the Spirit. Traditionally, we tend to be a little afraid to talk about the Spirit, at least some of us, okay? And we need to avoid false doctrines of error around the Spirit. That's true. But are we missing out on something very deep and fundamental? The Spirit moves the church. It's not leaders who move the church. It's not the gifted who move the church. It's not those up in front or speaking like this really that move the church. Maybe there's a spark there, but it's the spirit that moves the church. What could God do post-COVID if we really went where the spirit is leading us into places that are uncomfortable, experiences that are unprecedented or unexpected? we take initiative i guarantee you it will be messy but i feel confident in guaranteeing that it would be spirit inspired exciting life and, and experiences that we would have how will the church move forward how will we as people of faith move forward it's not by playing it safe it's not by saying let's go back to what we had before it was nice six months ago let's just get that back same old same old Let's not reject what was helpful. Let's keep it. But, but it surely can't be that after all we've been through that we're just going to carry on like before. It has to change. Something has to change. Perhaps our church structures have to change. Perhaps the way we do meetings has to change. Perhaps the way that we interact with one another needs to change. Perhaps our focus personally of the kind of mission that God has given us needs to shift and change. Only you really know about that. And often in sermons... And I do know that people often find it useful for people to give suggestions. And sometimes in a sermon like this, I'd give some, you know, maybe this, maybe that. Think about this. Think about that. But I decided today just not to do any of that. I don't want to give any for instances, because that might close down your own thinking about what the spirit might do through you. I really believe it's up to us personally, individually in our households to think about this. What could the Spirit do through me if I just step out on faith, in love, with the power of the Spirit? What could God do? It's amazing to think. So as we finish off today, as you, I, felt, I feel very energized by this topic, as you can tell, right? But I also feel it's, it's important that we have a really mature sense of soberness about how important this is. This is not just one of those, this is not a small thing that has happened to us. Not only COVID, but all, everything surrounding the death of George Floyd and all the things that have come from that, 
amongst other things. There's so much that God's been shaking things up in our world and in our own lives. We've got to make the most of it. We've got to learn the lessons. There's something here for us. And I, I'd really want to encourage us personally to, to pray about this, perhaps to fast about it, to talk about it, to not let this time and all of its lessons kind of fall to the ground and we move on and nothing's really changed. This could be our Antioch moment in Thames Valley. This could be our Antioch moment. It could be your Antioch moment in your life where something new and fresh begins, when the Spirit moves in a way that he never has before for you. And we see something that's uncomfortable, unexpected, and unprecedented. And may that be to God's glory. Thanks for listening to me. Amen. Amen.